Welcome to Regenerative Medicine today. This is John Murphy. My pleasure to welcome this podcast, Dr. Garrett Cohen. Dr. Cohen has earned his MD and he's currently involved in cardiothoracic surgical training. Dr. Cohen is an active researcher as well as preparing to be a clinician. Dr. Cohen, welcome to Regenerative Medicine today. Thank you very much. Appreciate the opportunity to be here. Tell us a little bit about how you, you chose this career track. I often ask my parents about this because it goes all the way back. I've wanted to be a cardiac surgeon since I was about nine years old when my grandmother had some heart disease issues. And ever since then, I've always had a fascination for the field, the mixture of the science and the art of medicine, and particularly surgery, where you can have a direct, immediate impact on patient lives. And as I went through college, I had a lot of good mentors in undergraduate education that exposed me to research as having another way to impact patient lives, and even more so than as just a clinician. As a clinician, I might only do a few thousand surgeries in my lifetime. But as a researcher, one major research impact can impact hundreds of thousands, if not millions of lives. So uh, that's how I think the mixture of clinician and scientist really comes together for me, John. That's very interesting. Tell us a little about the research you're involved in. Yeah, absolutely. I had the good fortune to meet Dr. Uh, William Wagner, the executive chair down here at the McGowan Institute, during my early career training here in Pittsburgh. And I had a history with cardiac tissue engineering at the University of Michigan as an undergraduate. And I always wanted to continue that. And through our mutual conversations, we found that our interests were very aligned with cardiac patches, tissue-engineered heart valves, and vascular graft prosthesis. So it was a very natural fit, and I came down here. I joined the lab for the last two years and started working with Dr. Antonio Demore as well, and I think we've made some very excellent progress on several tissue-engineering fronts in that time. So we've talked to some of the previous guests on the podcast about some of these technologies. Perhaps you can just highlight some details about the primary projects. Yeah, so my primary project and interest is in tissue-engineered heart valves. And uh, within our lab, we use biodegradable polyurethanes to make meshes, essentially, that allow cells to grow on them. And when we can implant these meshes as heart valves, over time, the patient will regrow their own heart valve from them. And that's what I've been focusing my research on while I've been here at the McGowan Institute. And we've made excellent strides in proving that these tissue-engineered heart valves are functional, can perform as well as a native heart valve, at least in the immediate setting, within several days. And we're now working on longer-term studies to see how these heart valves will grow and recellularize with the patients over time. Well, this tissue-engineered heart valve is expected to be a better solution than the current technology, which is basically for a bioprosthetic valve or a mechanical valve. Why is this better? You know, in the United States, somewhere between 100 and 150,000 patients every year need a heart valve replacement. And unfortunately, as you mentioned, they have two non-ideal options. They either have to choose a mechanical valve, 
where they require lifelong blood thinning medicines, which can be dangerous and certainly affect quality of life, or they have to choose a bioprosthetic valve, a valve made of animal tissue. And that has the problem of having early degradation. Those valves need to be re-replaced with another operation between 8 and 12 years on average. So a tissue engineered option that was more durable did not require these blood thinning medicines and could even grow with the smallest of our patients would be an ideal advancement for cardiothoracic surgery in our patients. I think we all recognize that these technologies take time to mature. What's the expected time to clinical trial for this technology? There have been a few technologies similar to this that have gotten to the clinical trial phase very early, very early, still several years off. Our specific technology is still probably another 10 years or so from seeing the real true market. We have to, as you said, incrementally, step-by-step, prove that this technology is both safe and effective in humans. And we're well on our way to doing that, but it is a long and arduous road. (laughs) Congratulations on the progress you made. Thank you. Dr. Cohen, it seems to be the clinicians are with decreasing frequency getting involved in research. You're obviously pushing that the opposite direction. Why do you think that's important? Well, as I mentioned at the start, I see them as necessarily intertwined. The advancement of scientific knowledge and application to medicine is imperative to help more people. And I think you bring up a good point in that many physicians are being pressured by many other outside sources right now, whether that be funding mandates, clinical volume mandates, the need to see more patients all the time. And that's important. But I think it's also important that for those who want to explore the clinician scientist role, that we as both an institution and a society support that. That's how most of our modern medical advances were made with clinician scientists and furthermore close collaboration between pure basic scientists and those clinician scientists, which I believe is imperative for the development of new therapies. And it's something we here at the McGowan Institute pride ourselves on championing. Well, actually, the McGowan is probably pretty unique in that regard. My recollection is about 25% of the faculty members are clinically active. They're in the lab as well as in the clinic. It's an incredible accomplishment, I think. Yeah, it's great. And I think even more to that point is the number of clinical trainees embedded within those labs because it's just as important to foster the next generation of both basic scientists, translational researchers, and clinician scientists. And being those 25% of the faculty, for me, are role models. But having an opportunity to work with them on a daily basis is it's an amazing opportunity. So what advice do you have for some young individual who's about to enter a PhD or an MD program relative to this discussion? When you're pursuing any advanced doctoral education, whether it be PhD or MD, the thing you got to remember is you just got to keep going. You're going to have a lot of bad days in there, and that's okay. Every time you turn over a stone and you don't make a big discovery, it's one less thing you have to go through, you know, towards your next big thing. You just got to keep working until you find something that works. The other thing I would say is as you start to be exposed to the research around you, 
you'll find that you're interested in more things than others. And I would never say that it's a good idea to say no to a research opportunity early in your career, but you should really think about having a common pathway or forming a research niche for the future. Because building up that type of expertise in an area takes time, but when it's done properly, it can lead to great things in your middle and late career from what I've seen. So I think that's something that I would advise younger MD and PhD students to think about when they're selecting how, with whom, and where they do their research. So is your aspiration for your own personal career to continue research as well as practice? Yes, when I finally finish, finally, (laughs) the ideal practice environment for me would be a clinical practice that allowed for a significant dedicated time to research, and specifically translational research. We have a lot of technologies out there that have been developed that are just dying for an application to clinical medicine. And I think training people in the next generation of researchers on how to integrate those technologies into the practice of medicine is one of the most important things we can think about doing. That's what I want to do with the rest of my career. Very good. Dr. Cohen, tell us a little bit about your thoughts on clinical research. I think clinical research is very important, and I, I do a lot of clinical research, but I have a very specific reason for doing clinical research. I think it's important to study the way we practice medicine, the way problems present themselves on the clinical side. That information that we gain through those rigorous research studies can then inform what the needs of the patients, the care providers, and the healthcare system are. Once you've identified one of those needs, you can then go back and find a technology or find a better way of doing things and work on that in the laboratory environment. That's kind of the wheelhouse of translational research. You have to find a problem. In this case, I like to do it using clinical research and then go back to the lab and figure out a better way to do things. And when you have that need in mind, that real clinical need, you can really, really turn some powerful science around into really translatable therapies and techniques. So that's why I think clinical research is very important for all clinicians to be involved in, and even basic scientists to be aware of, because that's where the real needs finding for what we need to be focusing our time, effort, and money on should come from. The arrangement that McGowan has, clinicians actively involved in the research, has led to more timely developments that are practically uh, applicable. Mm-hmm. That's true, and we have to look no further than Dr. Wagner and Dr. Antonio and, and our work on the heart valve. You know, we have clinicians, basic scientists working together for a common goal, and at the end of the day, that's what makes these technologies really come to life and, and really get to where they need to be, which is into the hands of doctors and patients. So I recently looked at your list of publications. One of the ones I noticed is that the paper evaluation of a simulation-based mini-elective on medical student interest in cardiac surgery. It looked interesting. Tell us about that. I have an interest in medical student and, and even resident education because it's important for us to adapt our techniques at educating the next generation of physician. Today, we're under a lot more pressure as clinicians, residents, and medical students to be 
really coming out of the gate top performing. The days of see one, do one, teach one in surgery, for example, are over. With outcomes being scrutinized and patients rightfully expecting perfection from their surgeons, even those who are in training, I think it's important to look at how we're training. And furthermore, the need for medical students to be exposed to uh, surgical specialties such as cardiothoracic surgery is very important. So our team put together a new mini elective during the medical school curriculum that would expose medical students to both these simulation techniques and the field of cardiothoracic surgery, which most medical students unfortunately are never exposed to because of the limited time in the curriculum. And we found that through doing this, we could increase and maintain interest. And and we found that the importance of maintaining interest over time, as opposed to just a single simulation session, having multiple simulation sessions or a course, was more important to building these relationships with these students who we found have greatly increased their interest in the cardiothoracic surgery field as a result. So that's what our team's goal was when we set out with that elective, and we were really happy that we accomplished that. Also notice that you have done some work, published work on infants and heart transplantation. We've done a lot of work at this institution on ventricular assist devices and heart transplants and affects all age groups. You you have to be able to treat heart failure in the youngest of our patients who are newly born all the way up to our older generation of patients. And it's a version of translational research. We're using the devices, some of which were developed right here in Pittsburgh to treat these problems. And it's important that we study those outcomes so we know who we can treat, how best to treat them, and what to expect after we've applied these advanced therapies such as ventricular assist devices and and heart transplant, as you mentioned. Dr. Cohen, thanks for sharing with us your career aspirations and your career plans, the progress you made in terms of developing new technologies and bringing it to the patient. I thank the McGowan Institute for Regenerative Medicine for sponsoring this podcast series. Until we meet again, thank you for listening.